Coming up, could Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale vying for the same head coaching job ultimately save the Giants staff from losing multiple coordinators? We'll go ahead and break down some of the NFL head coaching news, take a look at the speculation around Saquon Barkley and how Joe Shane will approach retaining him going into next season. Plus, of course, by how much do we think the Eagles will lose to the 49ers? We break it all down next. Ah, yes, my friends, it is OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where we're your host over here, Adam Armbrecht, covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast and providing a little bit of production for daily fantasy sports rankings, DFSR, over on YouTube. Go check it out. Doug Norrie giving you all those key plays every single day of the week. And over there is the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz chomping at the bit. No, it's champing. I, re- I, I learned that correction a couple years ago. It's champing at the bit to talk about some head coaching possibilities that could cost the giants. Yeah. You know, is it really champing? Cause it does sound like chomping. Cause you're like chomping at the bit, but maybe, yeah, it's, maybe. It's, uh, I believe it was, it was like, it's, it's, it's a horse term about that you put into like the animal's mouth. So it's a very specific thing. You can look that up in the background if you want, as I set the table for the people egg on my face, if I'm wrong, but I'm almost a thousand percent positive. If we were putting bets, if this was Andy's bet of the week, Champ at the bit. I I cannot believe this. My whole life has been a lie. Pat out. And this is what happens, man. Society, dude. Society just warps your perspective until you're using a colloquialism in a completely wrong way. That being the case, because we are champing here. Um, there are a couple of things we want to get to going to talk about specifically the kind of inside the building stuff for the giants. And obviously some big decisions for Joe Shane this off season, but outside the building is interviews. And when you look around the NFL, We've been waiting kind of for these dominoes to fall. Sean Payton is obviously the big, the big piece that everyone's waiting to hear on. He was just in the building with the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. Uh, He visited with the Denver Broncos as well. He visited with the Carolina Panthers, who ultimately chose to go with Frank Reich, former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And that benefits the Giants potentially here, Andy. Um, Were you surprised by the Frank Reich hire so quickly? It took me a minute to uncover the fact that he was – uh, once upon a time, a quarterback for those fine Carolina Panthers. He was. I think he actually may have thrown like one of the first touchdown passes in the history of Carolina. His yeah. family all lives in, in Carolina. I think his children go to school in Carolina. Like this made a ton of sense for the Carolina Panthers. And the tough part is um, for the Carolina Panthers and Steve Wilkes, it can be a, you know, this was a good hire. And also someone had an unfortunate circumstance because Matt Matt Rule basically tore the Carolina Panthers apart at the beginning of the year. An interim head coach, Steve Wilkes, came in and righted the ship to the point that in week seven, uh, week 17, they had a game where if they won, week 18 would mean that they could win and get into the playoffs. So, like, they went from a one-and-four start to a dramatic turnaround. you got to give Steve Wilkes some credit. Ultimately, they wanted to go on the offensive side of the things, hoping that Frank Reich can figure out the quarterback situation because it's obviously the most important Good for the Giants because Kafka was up for that job as well. We, you know, Giant fans have dodged a bullet so far. Initial reaction for you, Adam? 
Yeah, I, um, it's funny. Wilkes, who was, you remember, he he kind of became a bit of a lame duck one-year coach for the Arizona Cardinals before they wanted to go ahead and get Kyler Murray, and then they wanted to bring in Cliff Kingsbury. Now that thing's unraveling, and they're trying to find a way with a new GM, an assistant GM, and now trying to make that head coaching hire happen. Like, it, it is pretty brutal sometimes. I think, like, being a victim of circumstance, because now if you're Steve Wilkes, are you going to get another crack at it? Right? Are you going to get another crack at a head coaching job? Because you did a pretty darn good job as an interim head coach. Team was going in the absolute wrong direction. You almost got them back into a playoff scenario. And the, and the franchise didn't keep you. Right? And the franchise was like, yeah, but. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Specifically on the Kafka side, you said he interviewed there. It didn't work out. Uh, obviously, they went with, it went with uh, Frank Reich, as we said. But now you have Jordan Renan, who's coming out and saying that my understanding is there are scenarios for Wink Martindale to remain with the Giants despite the Colts' interest with no cap for coaches, paying him like a head coach could keep him in New York. He's a critical part of what they're building, and players love him, an opportunity to keep him in the building. Now, why do we say keep him in the building, and why do we say Colts? Because as it turns out, both he and Mike Kafka have been interviewing for that open position. Yeah, that was interesting from from Jordan Renan, but it does make sense given the fact that in Wink's press conference, he came out and basically said, this isn't a stopgap job. This is a, a dream place for me to be. New York is the best city in the world. He loves the fans. So he's excited. I think. And I'll that, see what happens. Like, well, remember, you, like, you know, you as think, he should, by the way, like yes, as he should. He, two things can be true. Again, one is that he's deserving of these head coaching potential opportunities. And two, maybe he is happy in New York. And, and so, like, you know, which one is more important? Is it being able to run your own team or getting a little pay bump and staying where you're ultimately happy right now? That's kind of what I think he's, he's balancing in his mind. And let's ask that question then. Should the Giants be willing to give him that pay bump to keep him there on the defensive side of the ball? Do we feel that? Because I know we're going to talk about Kafka here, and one of the threads that makes a difference for me in who you keep or who you potentially lose is Brian Dable, He's an offensive-minded guy. If you were to lose Kafka, who we'll touch on, I would say, well, the next guy comes in, Dable kind of puts the scheme in place, you know, very direct lines of communication. Not that Dable doesn't have a hand or an eye on what the defense is doing, but in a lot of ways, it's Wink Martindale. I trust you to do your thing. It's why they hired a very veteran-heavy uh, coach on that side of the ball because they felt like they could rely on him to do his thing. Wait, is, is it your money, Adam? Is it your money? It, would it be out of your pocket that we'd have to pay Wink Martindale in order for him to stay? Or well, where uh, now I'll be clear from? here. Mara and Tish, they, on the side, they sent me a message. They said, now, here's what we're looking at. And they opened the books. And I appreciated when they do that. Full transparency, right? We spent some money on some other coaches. We had to pay some guys well after they were in the building for us. What are you thinking, Adam? So, you know, I said, listen, fellas, you got to do what feels good for you. I feel like this should be a conversation with Joe Shane, not me, but I still had to talk. Yeah, but this is a no-brainer, right? It's like if Wink Martindale wants to stay and it's just a money issue, pay him. Pay the guy. There's no salary cap to your point. It's like what all okay, but wait, but are wait, wait a minute. I, I agree. Like, hey, it, it doesn't affect your salary cap. Fine. But you hired him already. He's already being paid. This would be the equivalent of – so I'll paint the scenario – what if a, pl a player decides one year into their contract, hey, I think I had a really good year for us. I really like it here. Love to get a $5 million pay bump going into next season. If we talked about that, we would say, excuse me, like I get it. Negotiations will come up and you deserve to get paid, but that's another year or two away. 
So a head coach, you know, a coordinator, you know, and I'm not saying Wink hasn't said that, but the idea of like, well, you got to pay to retain him. I, I, you know, if he wants to be here, I'm saying if the premise is Wink loves it here, wants to be here, loves being the DC, then why should we have to go this extra mile beyond it? Well, there's there's a couple things. One is the collective bargaining agreement from the Players Association and the NFL sure. does not allow players to negotiate on their first contract until after yeah. year three. So like, even if they play great, that you take it out of the hands of everyone else. It's like, I'm sorry, our hands are tied. This is what, what was negotiated. You don't have to worry about it. If a guy signs a two-year deal with the Giants and he's like a 28-year-old veteran and he plays really well in that first year, of course you should turn around and say, give me a contract extension, pay me more money. Like, okay, so Isaiah Hodge should with. walk into Joe Shane and say, let's go ahead and get me a five to seven million dollar contract in place here because I grossly outperformed it after you picked me up off of the scrap heap. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Okay. okay. I'm, just, I, I, I'm making it clear here because then I can give you five guys on the Giants roster that should all walk in the door and demand five to seven more million dollars than they're making right now and put the Giants in a really difficult spot. Understanding and, and it's again, different with coaches, it doesn't impact salary, ability. In a salary-driven league, if you say yeah. we only have enough money for our coaching staff to divvy up X amount of funds, yeah. if Wink Martindale goes in there and says, pay me $5 million, that impacts all the other coaches on the team and what else we can do. So... Mm -hmm. Well, while I do appreciate that players can go in there, the circumstance is completely different because of Joe Shane's salary cap limitations. Having no cap on how you how much you pay coaches, get the best coaches in there and do what you need to do on that end. They were talking about Sean Payton getting 15 or $20 million. It's like if people are finding all that money under their couch cushions for, for different coaches, pay the guys you want to have yeah. in that building. And by the way, like you're hearing also, like Sean Payton is saying, I want 15, I want 20. And it seems like a lot of teams are saying, well, you know, right. sure, it's still $20 million. It doesn't affect the cap, but it does affect the money that we're profiting off this team. And I think a big part about what's going on with him is wanting total control when he's walking into these interviews. And that's a really hard balance, especially if you just brought in a new GM. I'm not against it, by the way. I love what Wink Martindale did. I think if you look at this team and you think about where some of the glaring holes are and the improvements that they can make in the offseason and in the draft, the defense can become that much better. Now, let's be clear. I'm not, I'm not putting it at the feet of Wink Martindale, but we can look at certain statistics coming out of this season and say, hey, for as good as you were in some areas, the Giants' run defense was an absolute disaster. And it can be as easy as saying, well, tell me what linebacker was worth a damn on this team. Okay. But again, scheming your way to success can certainly be a factor here. I just I find it fascinating because I, I'd be pro keeping him and paying the money for it. I also though would say, boy, it'll be funny though. I want more money. You know, let's we're gonna give him some more money. We're gonna bump you up. I don't even know what he's making right now. But let's say you bump up to six million dollars, right? Next season. You go two more years, six million dollars a year. And then a year from now, they dial it up and they go, hey, guess what? He's even more of a hot coaching candidate. And he goes, Well, now I'm gonna leave because there's no amount of money that you're gonna pay me here that'll equal what I'm gonna get somewhere else. I value the idea of keeping this thing intact, and I also have to value at the top my head coach in Brian Dable, the GM in Joe Shane, to say, listen, in a scenario, this is what happens. This is what happens when you're a good team. The coaching staff starts to get poached, and you have to kind of live with those results, and I'd hate for the Giants to make like a panicked move about it and commit more money to someone than just to say, hey, who would be the next guy? And Brian Dable has has ties going all the way back to Alabama. So I would feel pretty comfortable that he could look out and find someone that could come in and elevate that defense.
Yeah, and, and we mentioned this about Wink Martindale because he he just got announced to have his second interview with the Colts. Yeah. Keep in mind, Mike Kafka also interviewed with the Colts, yet to be determined if he's going to get a second interview, I believe. Um, but for the offensive side of the ball with Mike Kafka, he also got a second interview, which was believed to be in person with the Houston Texans. So yeah. you have Wink Martindale getting his second interview, which they usually only do for about five candidates. So it means that they're very serious about it. And the same thing in Houston. Now, what I will say is right now, there's still people in, in Indianapolis that believe that uh, Jeff Saturday is still the leader in the clubhouse because Jim Ursay loves him, and which would be just an amazing chef's kiss of a hire for them. The mm -hmm. other piece of it is, uh, you know, with with uh, Mike Kafka is he is not necessarily the favorite right now, even after a second interview with the Houston Texans. It looks like defensive coordinator of the Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, is actually a little bit in front of him in terms of betting odds. But both this is the waiting game right when you have teams still playing. Yeah, of course. And same thing with D'Amico Ryans of the San Francisco 49ers. All these teams are still playing, so it's a little harder for them to do anything. Um, uh, the question I have for you is they're both – you know, names after a successful year with the Giants that are that are in demand right now, both mm -hmm. interviewing for multiple multiple head coaching positions. If the Giants had to lose one of those coordinators, Adam, which one would you feel more comfortable with the Giants letting go, whether it be because we have someone to backfill them or you don't mind changing the scheme or you're confident that we can continue to, to you know, keep the ship moving? Yeah, it's Mike Kafka because, uh, you know, and it's funny because we just finished talking about Wink. And the one thing I'll say is he's a veteran coach. Obviously, it looked like he, you know, reinvented himself a little bit. Still ended up being the highest blitz percentage in the league this past season. So he didn't get too far away from his core. But when you have Brian Dable, the idea is the reason why Joe Shane went back to where he was from in Buffalo and pulled Brian Dable to be the head coach is because you want to have a guy that's going to put an offensive system in place. So while we know Mike Kafka was calling the plays and he had his influence, you feel much more comfortable saying, okay, you still have the guy. You still have the architect over top. And the next guy you bring in, you can dictate some of those terms. He'll bring in some of his wrinkles. But a lot of the language can stay the same. So that Daniel Jones, presumably coming back, obviously, and all the other pieces you bring in can have a level of consistency. I think, unfortunately, for Mike Kafka, probably the thing that holds him back in a lot of ways is this was a difficult roster to succeed with on the offensive side, right? You have rookies on the offensive line, injuries on the offensive line, a lack of full weapons at the wide receiver position. We can go down the list. I don't think Mike Kafka ever got to the point where he was really putting on full display what the offense that he would put in place could be capable of. You know, it's it's interesting that you say Kafka because it, that would be the natural inclination for me to say because you're like, oh, we have Dayball who's an offensive-minded coach. But I think we all agree that early on in the season and in, in, in a lot, there was a lot of evolution to Mike Kafka's scheme and play calling. Mm -hmm. You saw some of the wrinkles he put in to get Daniel Bellinger into space. You saw how they utilized Daniel Jones more effectively. I actually would go on the other side of the ball and say, I think Wink Martindale is easier to replace. For but you're the one, one who said you would go pay him, which by the way, like, and, and, and I, I understand why, like I, because, because well, well, two things, again, I'm doing the two things can be true today. Cause that feels like a really good, good situation for me to be in. Cause <laughs> yeah, it feels like a really good way to approach it. <laughs> one is that I would pay Wink Martindale, whatever. Cause it's not my money. And I think he does deserve a, a, another year with this team to see what it could look like. But on the other hand, if we end up losing Wink Martindale, we can also keep in mind that like, this defense was 22nd in the league in points per game. They were 31st in uh, rushing yards per attempt against. There yeah. are some stats that you look at that say the Giants weren't that great, 
And you kind of say, well, was Wink holding this thing together by a thread with his scheme? Did we not have the right players? I mean, 5.3 yards per attempt rushing when you have Leonard Williams Dex and Dexter Lawrence on yeah. your defensive line feels like an area of concern. So for me is I would like to see them progress and not have to start over. However, if they were to lose Wink, I think that you could find another defensive coordinator that may be able to do something different. I don't necessarily think we have to keep with Wink's scheme if that's the case. Yeah, I know. I think, I don't know, if, did you bring this up? Or I don't know if we were talking about this or if I talked about it somewhere else. This happened recently. I think it was depends, on our last It depends episode. if it's really smart and insightful. If it was, then it was definitely. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no. We were saying like the potential of like, of if this team moved to a 4-3 defensively and you could still have Dexter Lawrence in the middle of that and you could add a piece to it, whether it's retaining Leonard Williams, who maybe doesn't fit the same way in there or going to the draft for agency, et cetera. So there are some of these things where I think, to your point, it can look a little bit different. And that's why I go back to the top. So. Here's what I would say. A big part of it is, shout out to uh, Cover the Spread. Thank you. Salute to you as well, good sir. Um, I, I, on the one side of it, because Kafka is the young mind around the game, you'd like to keep him to see where it can grow and see where it can expand. And you'd like the offense to still have that consistency. Defensively, I think the whole reason why you went and got Wink Martindale was to maximize whatever you had, right? And you look at it and you say, well, no second corner, no legitimate number two corner, the linebackers, no having Aziz Ojolari for the bulk of the season, right? Safety's in and out of the lineup with injuries as well. So there's plenty of things you can point to. Again, I guess I'm just going to, I'm going to lean on for both of them. It's just like, I trust Joe Shane. I trust Brian Dable. And, and I probably feel even more comfortable with Dable saying, okay, I need two new coordinators. I can figure that out more in my second year then maybe I would have in my first, right? A lot of things to get used to, a lot of new responsibilities as a head coach. I'd feel more comfortable with it. I'm a fan of Wink Martindale, and I think about the idea of like how blitz-heavy schemes, while sexy when they get home, there's a bit of that risk-reward to that defensive side of the ball. And it can look different when you get, remember, go back to Baltimore, when he had the cornerbacks in the secondary play, then the blitz schemes were fantastic because it's man-to-man -man coverage. And that's how I think it'd be dramatically different in the upcoming season. So from that standpoint, it will be interesting, nay, fascinating to see what happens here with these two jobs and what the Colts are thinking about. Because I'll throw in this one thing. And I was talking with the guy, uh, kickoff in the Valley, Tyler Vasquez, who covers the Cardinals. And they're all in on Sean Payton. And we're going through all these coaching candidates and saying, yeah, listen, if you want to do it, it's great, grand, wonderful. And I said, here's a wrinkle for you. I was like, what if Jim Ursay just kind of said, hey, Sean Payton, like, let's just have a conversation. Jim Mercer has never seemed like an owner who has feared writing a check. I want like that's what I wonder about about a Kafka, a Martindale, or any of these kind of like second tier potentially coming up for their first head coaching jobs. How many of them could get pushed by the wayside if an organization decides to make a big pivot? You wouldn't think if you're having your second interviews and really getting deep down the road that there's going to be this random swing for the fence. But I am very, I am very fascinated, especially when we think about the teams playing this weekend, and even some of those coordinators that maybe you get a little bit more in depth depending on who wins or loses this weekend. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about Sean Payton. Uh, there's five open head coaching positions. All four other teams have requested to interview Sean Payton, which he has interviewed with them for. I find it fascinating that Jim Mercey maybe maybe doesn't want to give up as much control. Not just someone like that. Yeah. You know, they have Chris Ballard, the general manager. Maybe Sean Payton wants that, and he already knows that Chris Ballard isn't going anywhere because he's one of Ursay's guys. A lot of speculation there, but agreed. It, it will be fascinating be, because Wink and Mike Kafka don't have the same power struggle or need the same power that Sean Payton does. They may, may be a more appealing option 
to the Indianapolis Colts as they move forward. You better believe it, man. So we do want to get to the Saquon Barkley situation. And this is true for Daniel Jones, for a Julian Love, maybe even for Dexter Lawrence to a slightly lesser extent because he still has another year to go. But you may want to get into those waters. Uh, and then you can even think about a Leonard Williams. Guys that have contracts and things that need to be figured out on this roster. A quick footnote that occurred over the last few days, adding to the list of 14 total players that are now part of the Giants' reserve futures. They gave them out to, you have uh, Butler, you have uh, Ja'Shawn Corbin, obviously the running back that we really liked coming out. Zion Gilbert got added into that list as well. The cornerback who I think has a lot of the baseline traits we like, needs some time to develop, but did see some reps early in the season. And then my boy Khalil Pimpleton also made it through, but along with uh, Andy Makowitz's uh, favorite. This is a diehard for this man. David Sills back in there with the reserves futures contract. Do any of the like, do you find it? I find it somewhat interesting. A lot of these guys are players that were brought in this past season for the first time under Joe Shane, but there are still some holdovers that have made it through from the previous regime onto this list, uh, which also includes uh, Myrick as well, got through on there too. So, I mean, anybody jump out at you here? Like, I'm excited that Pimpleton made it through just because he was a rookie. So, like, you know, you at least look at a player like that and say there's some untapped potential. Same thing with the running backs or cornerbacks. Like, I want some young guys that maybe can develop to be depth contributors on this team. Yeah, the one name that came to my mind was actually um, Andre Miller, Dre Miller, who was listed as a wide receiver early on and then in camp moved over to the tight end position. Looked like he was starting to get acclimated in that role. Looked like he could even make the roster. Um, Had a season-ending injury like in training camp or, or in one of the preseason games. He has stuck around for a while. I think I believe he was signed to the to the reserve team. He's now back listed as a wide receiver as opposed to a tight end. I wonder if the Giants are just figuring out how they can utilize a talent like him as a big catch radius, bigger body. Certainly something the Giants probably need on the field. He's just an interesting one to me because I thought um, his size and his pass catching ability is clearly something that the Giants need, yeah. considering what the t- what the wide receiver and tight end room looks like today. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him being in the building, getting a year of reps with this team, seeing if there's a way that maybe he ekes onto the roster as one of those replacements for a Nick Vanette or or even Lawrence Cager if he ends up not making it. You know? Yeah, I find that interesting too, right? Because I think tight end is still something you look at and say, you'd like to add something here this offseason, free agency draft, but in the hierarchy of needs, it gets a little bit further down. So you go, well, we love Daniel Bellinger. Is a Lawrence Cager and a Miller? Can that be a three-man combination? Can somebody else, Myrick, et cetera? Like, what is going to be the way that maybe you get past or get through one more season before diving a layer deeper on certain positions? The other thing that we want to touch on here before we get out the door, there's two players that I think we'll we'll talk about today. The first one is going to be Saquon Barkley, and then I want to bring up a little something about one Julian Love. So with Saquon Barkley, we heard the the end-of-the-season comments, and we talked about him at the beginning of the week. Wants to be here, not looking to reset the market value. And then you get it followed up with Joe Shane saying certain things like around Daniel Jones. It was really happy with what we saw from him this year, wanting to be here, looking to you know work this thing out, etc. When it came to Saquon, it wasn't that he dismissed wanting Saquon back, but it also included in his comments the idea of, but you know, you can't bid against yourselves. You have to look at the market, positional needs, how much money. So it kind of put in some of these, these caveats that could make it interesting when it comes to these negotiations. So my question to you is, you have three options on the table. Sign them to an extension, 
And, you know, Seiko said, I don't want to reset the market. That can still be 14 million. That wouldn't be resetting it. Still be a lot of money. It seems like some of the speculation was like 12, 12 and a half around the, de around the uh, trade deadline and over the bye week that, they, that Saquon indicated, you know, couldn't get close on it necessarily. So if that number wasn't good enough, you can slap the franchise tag on them and pay them a little bit over 10 million for a year. I don't know if Saquon's going to love that, has had some injuries, probably wants security, or you could also go with the transition tag. And that actually reduces the number down to just north of 9 million. And then obviously puts an onus on another team if they want to come and sign them of having to give up some capital. How, what would you go with and how likely do you think one of these options is? Yeah. So I do think that the franchise tag is likely for Saquon and, and there's a couple of reasons behind it. One is because at $10 million, like every giant fan and everyone else would, would sign up for one more year of Saquon Barkley at a reasonable number, which is like basically just cracking the top 10. Like that's not even a question. If you would spend the draft capital there, Adam, I think, um, the other piece of it is also what what would be the market value? We're talking about he already got offered $12.5 million or somewhere in that range during the season. Like this would be even less than what we were going to uh, you know, give him on a longer-term deal. So yeah. I agree with that too. The last piece of it, which is the most important one, is figuring out an extension for Daniel Jones because if you, if you have to decide who do we sign long-term, who do we franchise – if you franchise Daniel Jones at $32 million, mm -hmm. that is a $32 million cap hit that you cannot manipulate. You can't move money around. You can't turn some of it into a signing bonus or this, that to be able to lower the cap hit. That is $32 million that is stuck in for the Giants. If you do it with Saquon at $10 million, well, then you're saying you're only allocating $10 million cap hit to Saquon. And if you can sign Daniel Jones to a longer term deal, you could bring his cap down to be able to make other adjustments across the roster. So yeah. I think the whole thing about this, and Joe Shane said it, is that we have to fit these puzzle pieces together. None of these negotiations are in a vacuum by mm -hmm. themselves. It's all like, well, if we do this, what does it mean for the other availability that we have? And so that's why I would franchise uh, franchise Saquon Barkley, knowing that you get him cheaper than what the going rate would be. And also it gives you an opportunity to figure things out with Daniel Jones. I agree. So I agree with you overall. Everything happens together. Here, I think, is some of the differences. And we'll talk a little bit more about Daniel Jones as we move through the offseason as well, obviously, because there's a lot of caveats to that conversation, too. The problem to me with tagging Barkley is like, I don't know if he'll play under that. Now, you say you tag him to continue to negotiate. I know you can shrug your shoulders about it, but if you tag Saquon Barkley and he says he's not going to show up to camp and play, you have a whole new problem on your hands. Now you can then go and say, we can look to trade you at that point, et cetera, you know, whatever, see what our options are. But so here, here is my, my good faith perspective around the giants and Joe Shane is that they might not go to that place and say, if you don't want that, if you don't want to play underneath the tag for a year, if we can't come to an agreement on a long-term contract, then the other option would be to say, we put the transition tag on you. And now that obviously guarantees two first round picks for us. And then anyone else that wants to come get you and you have those conversations about what that contract will look like, et cetera, right? The guarantee that where you go is going to pay you. I, what I find, what I find fascinating on that front is, is there any team in the league that would say two first round picks, right? Cause when we talked about it for Daniel Jones, Hey, that's potentially a franchise quarterback. It's a quarterback in general, and you can wrap your head around, first round picks being traded for that. But if you, I, I, I find it hard to think that any team would say, 
you're going to give up two first round picks for Saquon Barkley. And at that point, so here's my, my big, my big conclusion is if you're going to franchise tag him, I would just transition tag him. Why? Because you save over another million dollars by doing so. If you're already going to say that we're going to fran- we're going to tag you, I'm going to put the one on that ends up averaging the top 10 players at the position, not the top five. If somebody wants to come get you for the, for that draft capital, it's almost fantastic as we would all agree as much as we may love Saquon and you save yourself money on the cap. So that to me is the shrewdest move that you can make if you're Joe Shane. Yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer for me in this whole scheme is, and the reason why I shrug my shoulders is not you proposing it. It's that if I'm sitting there as Joe Shane, I feel like he has all the leverage in the Saquon Barkley negotiation because no team is going to trade two first-round picks for Saquon Barkley. There's not a single team out there that would do that. All you have to do is go back to earlier in the season when Christian McCaffrey was traded from the Carolina Panthers to the San Francisco 49ers. They didn't even get a single first-round pick for Christian McCaffrey, and you'd like to think that they are likewise in the same type of skill set. In addition, any team that would be signing him to that tag, he would be expecting the same thing that the Giants would be doing, which is give me a long-term deal. So is there another team out there that's willing to give two first round picks and then give Saquon Barkley $16 million? Like who, whoever that GM is like, I, I got, I got, uh, you know, ice to sell you in an article. Like I don't yeah. understand how you could possibly invest that much capital into a running back when everyone's moving away from how valuable running backs are. No, you'd have to look at it across the landscape and say, you know, a team that feels like, boy, if we had Saquon Barkley, like who cares about draft capital? We have everything else, right? We have the quarterback, we have the offensive line, and we have a number one wide receiver plus a strong number two and a good tight, you know, right? All those things. The defense is intact. We don't care about giving up two first round picks because guess what? We think with Saquon for the next two years, we could be winning or competing for championships, right? Like that would be the only scenario. And those teams are probably few and far between. Although if you pressed me, I could, I could give you a couple that it could at least be feasible, though I think highly unlikely. The other thing is then um, the compensatory formula about this too. Like, again, if you're the Giants and you say, we're negotiating at 12 million and Saquon's negotiating at 14 and you just, and the way Joe Shane talks about it, it is just the way he brass taxes is like, if I spend two more million here, and then I spend four more million here. I've lost a player or two in those negotiations. And you can't sacrifice the long-term sustainability of this team. And I think the other big factor is like, what do the Giants really feel they're going to be? What does Joe Shane and Brian Dable think of the upcoming season as opposed to two years from now, three years from now, right? Because keeping Saquon Barkley, let's say on, on a long-term deal, on a four-year contract worth $14 million, well, you can end up hurting your ability to replace certain positions with younger talent, free agent talent, right? And by the time the team gets fully ready to really compete, deep playoff runs, as much as we love this year, you could be looking at Saquon Barkley closer to 30 than to 26 and saying like, and now we actually need a supplemental running back here because Saquon's not the quite, quite the same player. I mean, we all know what happened with Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys, right? And I don't think that it's ever going to get to that place. But it is very interesting. To This is the balance, man. And I think this is a brutal part of this because we love this season so much for the Giants overall and for Saquon as an individual and also. It's, it's hard to sit here and be like, you know what? 14, 15 million, sure, let's do it. Like, And, I, and you can manipulate it so it becomes effectively a two-year deal and there's outs, et cetera. But I also think if he's here long-term, it really is the symbolic tiki barber type of thing you're only going to play for the giants and you'll have a 10 you know 10 plus year career and you'll retire as a giant so all these things matter 
It, it does matter. And, and uh, you know, I go back to the leverage that the Giants have, though. It's like, okay, we'll either do a longer-term deal at 12-something million dollars or we're going to franchise you. If you don't want to play on the franchise tag, then you have to sit out a year. And, like, what's that going to do to your value? We I, saw they they would trade him at that point, though, too. Well, yeah, and 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 does Saquon really want to go down that route to get another million bucks a year? Out and of that's, the that's, that is fascinating, right? It's like you want as much as you can, and everyone gets that. And also, do you want to play somewhere else? If you're right, willing he, to play he, somewhere else, then it's kind of okay, right? But if you're not, then you're you're almost just like, come on, it, come on, okay, twelve million it is. He is he has been consistent with his desire to re- remain a New York Giant. It really does seem like he loves being a Giant, loves being here. Says all the right things. I mean, he was on a video talking about winning tickets to a Giants game next season, and he's the sponsor. Like he's right. he's acting as if it's business as usual. It would be shocking to me if Saquon is not a Giant at this point. I just think it's one of those things where it's like. All right, you're at your agents at 15. We're at 12 and a half. Saquon, we're gonna walk anything north of 13. It's on you to make that decision at this point. Like, what do you want to do? I ultimately think that it'll get done. It'll be a little bit less than what Saquon and his agent would want. It's probably gonna be a little bit uncomfortable for both, but that's really ultimately when you know it's a reasonable deal. And by the way, I wouldn't hate the idea if you came in and said 12, whatever, 12, 12 and a half, whatever it is, 12 base. And maybe he can get to 14 million with some pretty high bar incentives, right? Like, hey, listen, if you go for, you know, let's say 10 touchdowns, right? That's a pretty, pretty big number that you'd have to accomplish. Okay, great. That's worth another million. If you go for 1,200 plus yards rushing, okay, that's going to get, you know, whatever. And 1,200 could be incredibly low (laughs) given how Saquon looked this year. But you can put things like that in place, right? All purpose yards over 2,000. If you want to go that route, I think that that also can be effective because you know the value is there, games played, et cetera, all those good things. So, We'll see how it plays out. But the funny thing is, remember, using the franchise tag, well, now we kick it back to Daniel Jones and what's going to happen with him and where those numbers are and whether or not you sour your potential franchise quarterback if you said, well, we tagged one or maybe we get the negotiation completed with Saquon. Transition tag for Daniel Jones? Are teams willing to give up two first-round picks for him? A lot's going to depend on what happens in this QB carousel landscape over the course of this offseason. So we'll talk more about that. And one thing that I think will will kick down the road here, at least a little bit, is just that inside of this group of players that had renaissance seasons, came up in big ways, Julian Love is that other player that's being talked about here. His market value is around $8 million. And I just wanted to throw this out because I did think um, that this was a good, a, a good talking point brought up by Daniel Jeremiah. He said over on Twitter, Kyle Hamilton was my fifth player, and he was picked 14th in terms of where he ranked them. He mentions Julian Love was my 61st ranked player and was taken 108. And he he says basically how you draw like how you look at a player and where they were drafted is all part of this combination, right? Because he says I was 93 spots higher on the on some of these guys than they were eventually picked. So when you think about where the market value is on a Julian Love or other guys on this roster. You are combining about like Joe Shane can go back in his books and say, where did I scout him coming out of college? What did I think he could be at the NFL level? But he is a guy now with, with Xavier McKinney, with Dane Belton, and just with a draft in another off season. I think he's going to kind of be a guy where we talk about, ah, we can't, we can't overspend one place and not be able to fill needs. Julian love feels like it's getting a lot closer to that. If he's going to want to try to maximize his value. Um, you can talk about it now if you want. So I said, we're going to save it, but. No, I I think I think it's good just understanding when Joe Shane talks about these puzzle pieces, Julian Love is a key puzzle piece. He was another captain on this team. I yeah, think it is going to yeah. be fascinating when you think about 
What's his value in terms of leadership? Also his positional value, as well as what is the actual contract that he's looking for? I think when you break all of those things down, he, to me, is the one where I honestly think it's 50-50 whether or not he's going to be back based on all of those different factors. You better believe it. Shout out to uh, Joseph Clark, who's a frequent flyer in here. Dr. Pancake, who's also been around in the lives and hadn't seen him in a little, little while. Shout out to you as well, sir, and everybody else that came in. We've been doing these kind of impromptu lives, and obviously, as we're in the offseason, we're going to leave a little bit more space between our episodes. Still going to do at least two, probably mostly three for the next few weeks here. We'll cover all the important narratives that are happening consistently, and then we're also going to drop in some of our how did these players look this season? Where did they start? Where did they finish? And where is their true value for this team? Not this past year, but going forward, because those are the decisions that Joe Shane has to make. And I think Andy will even do the rundown on how many players are going to be turned over on this roster, because that's been a consistent theme around rebuilding teams, which the Giants very much are a part of. You go ahead and you get us over on uh, YouTube, where you're watching us right now, on the podcast feed, where you're soaking it in. Dr. Pancake, I do see the shout-out to Brightwell. That is an interesting talking point we will get to. Who are all the other running backs that exist on this roster? Just want to make sure we make reference to that as well. Um, be us wherever you can, man. Why? Because we're talking about the New York football giants. We're going to start to, I'm going to start to laying out some of my top five players at each position in the draft for the New York football giants. So just stay tuned, man. The off season is going to be amazing. And Andy, oh my God, listen, I keep doing it, extending the show. Who do you got this weekend? Almost, almost forgot conference championships here. I assume you love the Eagles. Give me the Chiefs and the 49ers in a rematch. I feel like everyone wants to go the other way on this thing. So I'm going to be contrarian, mostly like you are, Adam, usually. So I'm going to give me the give me the Chiefs. Give me the 49ers. That's my pick. I'm taking the Bengals. I feel like they are they are destined to get back there again. They just they just look like the team that is hitting all the right strides at all the right moments. And I'll take the 49ers. I'll hang my hat on the defense. I'll hang my hat on Brock Purdy to keep this thing going. There's no just come on. Is there any world? where I could possibly say I think the Eagles are going to win. Knock it off. We already got the Cowboys out. By the way, we went as far as the Cowboys in the playoffs, just in case anyone's wondering. Um, So we'll see how these things flesh out over the weekend. We'll come back in. We'll break down all things New York football giant. Thanks again to everybody who checked it out. And as always, as Andrew Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.